uh, from vacation. This was uh, the week that uh, my wife and I went to French Lick, Indiana. And some of you be saying, what's in French Lick? That's the boyhood home of Larry Bird. All right? I mean, so uh, I just can't believe I've lived here all these years and have never gone down there yet uh, because of my uh, love for watching him play in the 80s, the 1980s. But yeah, we went down there and then uh, we came up to Terre Haute where he went to Indiana State and that's uh, back in 79 when he won his, uh, I should say when that was the only time that they went to the national championship of college basketball. It's never done since. And so they got a big statue of him outside the uh, the arena there and everything. So we went and saw that. But that's not all that we did, okay? Just want you to know I was a little gracious to my wife in that way. I could have spent there the whole week and just kind of walked around, you know? But, uh, yeah, we were able to do some other things. And so it was a good time of rest. It's good to be back. Take your Bibles and turn to John 16 and... While you're turning there, just want to uh, bring a prayer request before you. Last night I heard uh, that Lynn Johnson's uh, mother is in the hospital right now, and they don't expect her to live uh, very much longer. So just keep her and the family in prayer as you think about them throughout this day. John chapter 16. You know, beloved, one of the doctrinal truths in which I marvel regularly, and I do, is the providence of God. That is God working out His purposes, His plan, through all the circumstances of life and even the frailty of mankind. I mean, history is what? His story. It is. And, uh, for example, I think of the genealogy of Christ. In the line of Christ, there was Rahab the harlot, Okay, then there was Ruth the Moabitess, and then there was Bathsheba. You know, if it were me, I would have thought of a cleaner way to bring about Christ. But that's what happened in the wisdom of God, and there's depths to that I do not understand. But I do marvel in the providence of God. God is working all things out for good and for His glory. We know that. As Romans 8.28 tells us, God causes all things, not some things, all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And so indeed, there is triumph in tribulation, the title to my message this morning. And I want you to see that in our passage today as Jesus promised this to His disciples. And we see that here in verses 25 to 33. These are some of the last words of Jesus before he goes to the cross here shortly. So follow along as I read. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. His disciples said, Lo, now you are speaking plainly and are not using a figure of speech. 
Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you by this. We believe that you have come from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered even to his own home and leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the father is with me. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Verse 33 there really sums up what Jesus said to his disciples in the previous verses, which is really a microcosm of all that Jesus told them that night. If you look down at verse 33, it says, These things I have spoken to you. What things? The very things he just said there in verses 25 to 33. But then when you go back to verse 25, he says, These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. Certainly it goes back to the immediate context before, but really it takes into consideration the chapters before that. All those things that Jesus said that night. And so before Jesus went to prayer there in chapter 17, he once again was encouraging these men that though they still were going to have hard pressing times in the world, they could overcome in him. That was the message he wanted to leave with them, that there would be triumph in tribulation. Well, this is just as true for believers today as it was for the disciples. In fact, It was Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, who said these words to some early churches in 1 Peter 5, 10, 11. Listen to this. After you have suffered for a while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. What assurance that should bring to our hearts. In trying times. Amen? Yeah. We don't have to be victims. But victors. Through our circumstances. And so what did the master here. Remind and share with these men. That should be of help to you and I. Because this message wasn't just for them. It's for us. As we make the bridge to where we're living today. So I want you to consider with me four great truths, four great truths for knowing triumph in tribulation, the very things that Jesus wanted them to take heart with so that they would know victory in their everyday lives, especially after he was leaving them and going back to the father. I want each of you to face each day with courage, just as Jesus said there in verse 33 in the world. You have tribulation, but take courage. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That's what he wanted to leave with them. And how did he do that? By sharing four great truths with them. And the first truth is captured there in verse 25. What did Jesus say to them? These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming When I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. What was Jesus reminding his disciples here? Indirectly, by the way. 
What was he reminding them of? It's simply this. There is triumph in tribulation through the ministry of the Spirit. Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, there is triumph in tribulation. Such an important truth. In this verse, Jesus was speaking about an hour that he would tell his disciples plainly of the Father. The big question to ask ourselves is, when would this be? How would this take place? Has Jesus spoken to it before? He certainly has. In fact, look with me back earlier in the chapter. Context helps us here. Beginning with verse 5 of chapter 16. But now I am going to him who sent me. Jesus is speaking there. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now look with me as he continues on in verse 12. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Yeah, they couldn't. I mean, he was sharing things with them over and over again, and they just didn't seem to grasp it all. And so he knew that he could only leave them with a few things, and hopefully they would take it to heart. And so he goes on to say, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. So when would all this happen? After Jesus' ascension on the day of Pentecost, that's where it would all begin And we have that recorded for us in Acts chapter 1 and 2. It would be then that the Spirit of God would come upon these men. Dwell in them permanently. Think about that. Empower them. Help them to understand more clearly what Jesus had taught. And then guide them into all the truth. In fact, some of these men here would become what? Writers of Scripture. Peter being one of them. And what did he say in 2 Peter 1? Yeah. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, as you know, I have been preaching on this very subject. <laughs> A number of weeks we have talked about the Holy Spirit in this upper room discourse. And so I don't need to spend a lot of time on it here. But what I think is important is for us to capture here, Jesus here emphasized the ministry of the Spirit. He talks about it in chapter 14. He talks about it in chapter 15. He talks about it in chapter 16. I mean, when he keeps repeating himself and speaking about it both directly and indirectly to his disciples, he wants them to get this. Because why? The ministry of the Spirit would be triumph in tribulation, which they were going to face. They would need him by their side. They would need him within their very hearts in lives. It would be him, that is the Holy Spirit, who would be their helper, their comforter, and bring triumph in tribulation. And you want to know something? This is just as important for us to know, and of which we need to be regularly reminded. We do. 
Because we take it for granted that we have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within us. We do. We don't think about it that much. And we should. It's a wonderful blessing. We have the Spirit of God within us permanently. And He helps us to understand His Word. Does He not? Sure He does. He's our teacher. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 says that very thing. He renews our hearts. Ephesians 4 and verse 23. He gives us discernment. <laughs> 1 John 4, 1 to 6. He leads us in the way of righteousness. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. And He grows us in trials just as we were seeing in our Scripture reading this morning. And the love of God is shed about our hearts. How? By the Spirit of God. And He grows us in trials for His glory. And you know what? There's so much more that I'm not even saying here. <laughs> But I've spoken to it before. And so truly, as God's people, we can know daily victory as we live in this world of tribulation. And it is a world of tribulation. I mean, just in the last week, think about it. We've seen some mass killings going on around us. We continue to see the, the stock market going all over the place. Inflation is happening around us. Yeah, we get a little kind of unstable in the midst of all this. And so we're facing tribulation just in a different way than what the disciples. But how important it is to understand and to realize daily that I have the Spirit of God who resides within me and will carry me through those times, will carry you through those times. What a blessing that is. And so this should bring courage to our hearts. So let us not forget the ministry of the Spirit, but realize it each and every day. That brings us to another truth. There in verses 26 and 27, he goes on to say, In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf. For the Father Himself loves you because you have loved Me. And we'll stop right there. Again, what was Jesus reminding His disciples here? He's reminding them of something. There is triumph in tribulation through the privilege of prayer. Yeah, through the privilege of prayer. And if you remember, Jesus had spoken to this matter moments earlier there in verses 23 and 24, right? Just look at the context. 23. In that day. And what day was he talking about there? Specifically the day mentioned there in verse 22. A day when Jesus will see them. Now certainly he is going to see his disciples after the resurrection, is he not? Yeah. But then he's going to be going to the Father. All right. And they won't see him physically any longer. And so I believe in that day Jesus is specifically speaking about that time when they won't see him any longer. In that day... You will not question me about anything. Well, of course not. He's no longer with them. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, He will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. That's not a rebuke. That's just a reality. Yes. They haven't had to. Because why? Jesus was present. But now he says, ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. And so he just comes back to it again here in verse 27, verse 26. In that day, again, 
after the ascension, the day of Pentecost, this is where it all begins. You will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request to the Father in your behalf. There's nothing necessary to do that there. They can come directly to the Father. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. And so what the Master was simply telling his disciples is that they would have the privilege of coming directly to the Father once he was gone and make requests in line with his will. This was possible because of a love relationship that they had with the Father through the Son whose redemptive work opened the throne room of God, didn't it? Sure did. In fact, turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 10. The writer of Hebrews reminds some Christian believers of these very things. Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 22 there. Hebrews 10, beginning with verse 19. The writer says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil. That is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. He had said something along this line back in Hebrews chapter 4. Verses 14 and 15 as well. So what a blessing it is. This privilege of prayer because of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. Now again, beloved, I have preached about this in previous weeks, right? Yeah, I've been talking about the matter of prayer and how important it is. And so there's no need to rehearse it right here. (laughs) And if you haven't been able to make all of those messages, then you can go back online and look them up. And you can see... Uh, and hear some of those messages that I've spoken on the matter of prayer. But you know, like the ministry of the Spirit, Jesus has been emphasizing this matter of prayer. Look with me back at chapter 14. Before he even talks about the Holy Spirit, he says in verses 13 and 14, Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Look at chapter 15 and verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Look down at verse 16 of chapter 15. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And then you see it again here in chapter 16, verses 23 and 24, and then in 26 and 27. He comes right back to it. He wants to emphasize Not only this privilege of prayer, but the ministry of the Spirit. Things that he has been discussing. In fact, if you were to just take those two subjects and just study again chapters 14 through 16, this is predominantly what he was talking about. He wants them to grasp this. How important it is as they face tribulation after he leaves. It will be the way that they will experience triumph in Jesus Christ. And you know, this has not changed for us today in the church. How about those familiar words in 1 John 5, 14 and 15? I love these. This is the confidence 
which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. Man, <laughs> that's pretty powerful promise. How would he pray in God's will? Huh? Yeah, through scripture. We know God's will, right? Clearly through his word. And so the more that we know God's word, the better we are praying according to his will. Now, I get it. There are times. <laughs> yeah, we don't know God's will on certain things in our lives. But even in those moments, we pray according to God's will. That's the attitude of our heart. We want to be in the center of God's will, no matter what. And so whatever happens in our lives, we know that God is sovereign and in control of those things. And so we commit ourselves to him and trust him. We pray in his will. That's our desire. And yet this prayer is a discipline. And at the same time, it's a glorious privilege. Both ways. And so let us remember this and be in regular fellowship with the triune God. So that we may have courage and confidence in our present world of which we live. I mean, just think about the inflation that we're doing. I mean, I was talking to Matt the other day. He's going on vacation. As he said, he's going to be driving down the road and the dollars are just flying out the window. You know? Yeah. Gas is so high. But what does the Bible tell us in Philippians 4 and verse 19? What did Paul tell the church at Philippi who was ministering to his need and they were in poverty? But my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's a promise. God does not lie. That's his will. And so we can pray in that way. We don't have to be anxious. No, he doesn't want us to be. There's triumph in tribulation because of the privilege of prayer. Well, very quickly, to a third truth. And we see this in verses 27 through verse 32. Actually, the second half of verse 22. As Jesus goes on to speak to the disciples, he says, And you have believed that I came forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. His disciples said, Lo, or behold, now you are speaking plainly and are not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. What do you notice in these verses? What key truth? What great truth? There is triumph in tribulation through the genuineness of faith. Through the genuineness of faith. I say that because it is emphasized in this text. How many times is the word believe mentioned? Three times. In verses 27 and 31, Jesus both acknowledged and questioned his disciples about their faith. And then in verse 30, these men confess their faith. And the disciples would need genuine faith if they were to stand up under the pressures of this world. They would. 
Now, what do I mean here by genuine faith? I think that's an important question to to ask and to answer. How many times have you heard sincere Christians, and I mean sincere Christians saying this, and I know they mean well, say to other individuals in trying times, you just need faith. You just need faith. My question about this is faith in what? That's the big question. Faith in what? Faith in and of itself is empty. There's nothing magical about faith. What makes it genuine, special, is its object. Yeah. And that's highlighted in these verses. It is. As Jesus references his deity, he references his mission of redemption, his exaltation. It's about putting your trust in him who he is and what he has accomplished. Look back with me to verse 27. And you have believed that I came forth from the Father. He's he's expressing there his deity. This is so important for them to grasp. Jesus goes on to talk about it a little bit more. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world to do what? To do the will of the Father. The plan of redemption is death and resurrection. And then he says, I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. He's speaking about his exaltation. Paul himself references that in Philippians chapter 2. And so his disciples said there in verse 29, Lo, now you are speaking plainly and are not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things. Why? Because they believe he is God. He's omniscient. And you have no need for anyone to question you. By this, we believe that you came from God. Oh, here they are acknowledging their genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look back with me to John chapter 6, by the way. John chapter 6, earlier. And in John chapter 6, you have that feeding of the 5,000. Okay? And Jesus is talking to his listeners that day. Many people about him being the bread of life. They didn't embrace that. In fact, they didn't like what he had to say. And it says there in verse 66, these words, as a result of this, all that he was saying about himself being the bread of life, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. And when we're talking about disciples, they were just talking about followers. They were interested in what Jesus was doing. <laughs> yeah. So Jesus said to the twelve, what? You do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Yeah. Acknowledging their faith. He did that in Matthew 16 as well. Go with me to John chapter 8. Jesus is speaking to some Pharisees there. And he says these words in verse 24 of John 8. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now go with me to 1 John. If you want to know a little bit more about what John meant at times in the Gospels, just go to his his epistles. 1 John chapter 2. Verses 22 and 23. And by the way, he speaks about this a lot in this epistle because 
there was a Gnosticism that was going on in the day, which denied that Jesus was God. This is what he says in 1 John 2, 22 and 23. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. Look at me at chapter 4, verse 9 and 14. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Verse 14. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Yes, so important uh, to understand the importance of the genuineness of faith. These men would need genuine faith if they were going to face the tribulation, the pressing times that were ahead of them. Now, though the disciples' faith was genuine, I will tell you they were weak and immature. (laughs) They were. And that is what their Lord went on to tell them in verses 31 and 32. Okay? See what he says there? John 16, 31 32. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Now, he had acknowledged just two verses earlier. And you have believed that I came forth from the Father. So he had acknowledged their faith. What is he doing here by that question? Well, in spite of their genuine faith, yeah, they are going to falter at times. And so they need to examine themselves and be careful. Because as Jesus said there in verse 32, Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered each to his own home and to leave me alone And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. And it's not very long after this what happens. Yeah, the disciples scatter. You have that recorded in Matthew chapter 25. And in fact, it's even predicted in Zechariah 13 and verse 7. That his disciples would be scattered uh, from him. But in spite of their weakness... Their failure in that moment, they repented. And they continued following Christ. And I will tell you, that is the nature of genuine, true saving faith. Is that though you may falter because it's real, you'll pick up your bootstraps, so to speak, and keep on going. In fact, what characterizes us in those moments is that we confess our sin. We repent of it. And get back on track. Isn't that what happened to Peter? Even when he denied the Lord that very night? Yeah. Bible tells us that he went out and wept bitterly. And then later, in John 21, what does he do? He restores Peter specifically on the shores of Galilee, as well as the rest of the disciples. They were just as guilty as him, though they had not denied the Lord. They scattered. They went away from him. And Jesus, in his grace, restores them In that moment. Think about the book of Acts. Okay. These men. Became bolder. (laughs) In their faith. After the coming of the spirit. Yeah. 
You see that all over Acts, for sure. How about the examples of faith in Hebrews 11? You go to Hebrews 11, faith is defined for us in 1 and 6. And then the writer goes on to give us many examples of faith from the Old Testament. Have you ever looked at some of those examples? Maybe read some of the stories of some of those men in the Old Testament? Mm. Yeah, some of those men failed at various times. But what happened? Because they had true faith. They repented. They got back on track. And they followed the Lord. Yes. Beloved, by God's grace, you and I have the same faith as the saints of old and the disciples. It's in the one true God who came to save you from the penalty and power of sin and will carry you through the darkest of days. And though we may falter at times, and we will, our true faith will lead to repentance and continuing on for the Lord. I love what it says in 1 John 5, 4 and 5. For whatever or whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? If you have true, genuine faith, there's victory. You're an overcomer in Christ. In fact, the writer of Hebrews said the same thing, but just in a different way. Listen to this, Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, and he's referring back to those examples of faith in Hebrews 11, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus has gone before us. He's paved the way. Our faith and trust is in him. He's the overcomer. And in Christ, we have victory. Oh, yes, there is triumph in tribulation through genuine faith. Well, very quickly, again, there is one other truth that sustains God's people. And we find that there in verse 33 as Jesus closes off this message. Look what he said to them. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So what do you see here? There is triumph and tribulation through the blessing of Peace. Yeah, it's peace. What Jesus had just said to these men was meant to bring peace. What did he just say to them? That there would be triumph in tribulation through the ministry of the Spirit. Through the privilege of prayer. Through the genuineness of faith. I have shared these things with you. So that you might have peace. And although the disciples had peace with God as a result of their faith in Christ, Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. We're declared righteous by faith in Christ. Therefore we have peace with God. 
But here, Jesus was talking about the peace of God. A serenity of soul as they lived out their faith in a hostile world where there is no faith. Just what he said to them earlier. Go back again to John chapter 14, verse 27. What did he tell his disciples? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And so in regards to the Spirit of God, what is one of the ministries of the Spirit according to Galatians 5 and verse 22? And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Yeah. How about the privilege of prayer? Philippians 4, 6 and 7, what did Paul say? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. In fact, even Jesus spoke to these things. There's no reason for us to be anxious as he says in Matthew 6. All right? Yeah, if I've taken care of the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, I'm going to take care of you. You don't need to be anxious, no. How about the matter of faith? Isaiah 26.3, what did the prophet say? Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. Yeah. So, beloved, what a gift peace is to our hearts. It really is. That peace of God. No matter what's going on around you in the world, there should be, there is a stillness before the Lord because He has overcome it in sin. You have all the resources to know peace, just like the disciples. Again, just think about all that's going on around us today. Yeah, even in the midst of that. But there's no peace in the world. There's peace in our hearts through the ministry of the Spirit, through the privilege of prayer. Yeah. Through the genuineness of true faith, which you possess as God's people sitting here today. Wow. That's something to get excited about, amen? (laughs) Yeah. You're familiar with that old hymn, I believe, It Is Well With My Soul. I want you to just hear the lyrics of that once again from our hymn book. The writer said this, When peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul though satan should buffet though trials should come let this blessed assurance control that christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul my sin oh the bliss of this glorious thought my sin not in part but the whole we were singing about that today is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. And Lord, haste the day when the face shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. I believe you know who the author of that hymn is. It's Horatio Spafford, who wrote those words after he lost his three daughters at sea. Yeah. May those words pour from our hearts as they did Horatio Spafford. And they can. They can. And they should. 
because you have the resources, all the resources necessary to know triumph in tribulation, just as the disciples. Well, Jesus here has ended his messages to the disciples before he goes to prayer here in 17. We're going to be getting into that. Boy, chapter 17 is so wonderful. This high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ to the Father. We get to learn some interesting insights there. And then he's going to go to the cross. He said everything necessary for them to know triumph and tribulation as they continue to live in this world. The ministry of the Spirit, the privilege of prayer, their genuine faith, and the blessing of peace. Man, four great truths, and these are yours as well. And so I want you to meditate on these things, not just today, but throughout this week. Uh, as you think about all that's going on around you, as you watch the news and read the newspapers and scan the Internet, I mean, it, it can be troubling as you read some of that stuff. You kind of get off your rocker a little bit. It's not necessary. Remind yourself of these truths so that you are stable. And so now as we go into communion, let's just thank the Lord for these things as he's made it all possible because of his death and resurrection. Amen? He sure has. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. And what a joy it is to just take a few minutes to remind ourselves of these truths that you, O Lord, shared with your disciples the night before you were crucified. You wanted them to get it. You said it so many times. And at the same time, you really want us to get it. We're facing tribulation just like the disciples did. And so, God, throughout this week, in the days and months ahead, may we be reminded over and over again that we have all the resources necessary to have triumph in tribulation, all for the glory of Jesus who made it possible. In whose name we pray, amen.